Morning. Morning. Merry Christmas. Welcome. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you to uh, Christmas Eve, um, almost Christmas Eve. I guess it's Christmas Eve day. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 2, and we have Bibles for you if you want to borrow one of ours, so just raise your hand, and uh, one of the ushers will gladly make sure that you have some scripture in your hand because we're going to read a little bit there. Uh, and then this morning, we're going to um, continue in our Advent series that we've been in for the last month. And then as Brad Franklin shared with you, uh, we will be doing a, a whole different um, uh, worship service uh, tonight at 5 and 6.30 p.m. It's our traditional candlelight uh, service. And uh, if you have never been a part of that, it's a great evening, beautiful evening. And um, a lot of people love it. We've got a great night planned for you. We've been praying for it. And so I want to encourage you to come back if, if you want and, and join in. As uh, Brad shared, typically we have a little bit more space at the uh, 6.30 service, but many uh, families come and uh, at the 5.30 service, and it's usually pretty packed out. And so it's unique um, in that Christmas Eve lands on a Sunday, which only happens uh, every uh, 10 years or so. And so the dynamic of having a morning service, the night service, has been fun for us. Uh, pray for Brad Knoll. He texted me last night. The guy who's leading worship up here, the big guy, he uh, had a temperature of 101 last night. And he, you know, has to lead four services. And then I don't have a fever, but pray for me because I'll be preaching four different uh, times today. And then I've got a little Christmas Eve bash in between with my family that's planned with all of uh, my aunts and uncles and everything. And, and uh, we had a bunch of Christmas parties this week and, um, you know, what we're doing today. And then tomorrow we've got Christmas Day with my whole family. And, and so pray for me. I love people, but I don't love them that much. And... Um, <laughs> After a while, I'll start getting a little, uh, little, uh, you know, give me my space, if you will. So um, then I'll, I'll probably have a fever. <laughs> um, my uh, family, just as a, you know, we're we're celebrating and and getting ready. My my wife <clears throat> has kind of instilled within our home because we have four kids. Uh, the day before Christmas, we usually usually open up presents together uh, with my four children and my wife, and it's a time for us to kind of just settle in as a family and make sure that we have a little bit of quality control in the sense of what we want to teach our kids in regards to gift giving and, and who Jesus is in that season. And, um, and so this year, I told my wife, she asked, what's your schedule at church? And I told her that I would be you know, here in the morning and I'd be here at night. And she said, when are we going to open up gifts? And I said, well, we'll have to do it on Saturday. If you want to do it you know, prior to the big family thing, which we'll do tomorrow, uh, we'll have to do it on Saturday. And so my wife instilled with my kids a new holiday called Christmas Eve Eve. And uh, my daughter woke up on Christmas Eve Eve morning where we were going to open up our gifts, and she had a bloody nose. And uh, the line that I, I woke up to was, um, I have a bloody nose on Christmas Eve Eve. It's so sad. <laughs> and um, little does she know, it's not a real holiday. It's, it's going to be fine. Uh, so at any rate, um, we, uh, we're going to continue. And, and what I have uh, prepared this morning is to continue in the series that you see behind me, and I will be concluding on love, that one child gives love. And so I want to share with you um, a little bit <clears throat> about that this morning in hopes that we would become a more loving people, a more loving church, uh, hopefully a, a more loving town. And we're going to actually uh, use Matthew chapter 2 as our base text. And as uh, is per custom for us, we, we honor God's word as we read it, and so I would encourage you to stand one more time with me, please, 
as we read from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And when I conclude this, I just want to also add that um, after I read, I'm going to pray. And uh, I want to pray for little Porter. He's a nine-month-old little boy. He's uh, the Stalls, Bob Stalls' grandson. Uh, he was admitted to uh, the hospital yesterday with an infection, or today, with an infection in his eye. And he asked that we would pray for him this morning. And so Christmas time, they want their little one with them, and we want to ask God to make that happen. So Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures... They offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And Jesus, we ask this morning that you would allow us to set aside whatever hindrances may be, whatever distractions they may be, and that you would minister to us this morning in a special way. Allow your love to come into our hearts, Lord, in such a way that it impacts us to love others and to love you uh, even greater. And we trust you for that now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a little bit of background to the text for us this morning, so you kind of understand maybe a little bit more in depth of, of what is happening. The word that we see here, first of all, is after Jesus was born. It says, Behold, wise men from the east came. Another translation would be magi. Some have called them kings. Uh, you might ask the question, well, who are they? First of all, traditionally, traditionally, we in, in the West have said that there are three. There was three wise men or three kings, and songs and tradition and Christmas cards have kind of shown that. But we really don't know how many of them there were. In fact, Eastern tradition actually sets the number at 12, where we set it at three. But the text isn't clear. Uh, what is probably clear from understanding of who these magi were, that they were probably much larger than possibly even 12. Though, again, the number isn't shared. So these wise men, these magi, they have a history. Uh, they were set in the east at this time. In fact, the magi actually were very influential in setting up a king. It was said that the magi were so influential uh, as, a, as a, a group of worshipers, not of God, but of one God, that they could actually set kings into place. Thus, we see the story of Herod bringing them before himself and saying, where is the star? He, he's feeling threatened. Herod feels threatened that a new baby is going to be born and that the Magi might have the ability to set this new baby in place to be king of the world. And so he brings them so that he can find this baby and kill this baby that his throne would no longer be uh, usurped by another young child. 
Now, the Magi, as I, as I shared, they, they had a, a, a type of, of worship that was similar to the Jews. They did worship one God. They had a sacrificial system. And they were kind of experts uh, within astrology. They studied the stars. And, and they, you know, they, they'd look up into the sky and look for signs and interpret them. Uh, they also had a huge um, kind of focus on fire. And so what I want you to understand about these men is that they come to worship Jesus, but these men, in many ways, they, they were pagan. They worshiped a false god. And so the question I think we have to ask as they come and they worship him is, how in the world did these magi come to know that Jesus would be born or the Messiah would be born? And it's an interesting story that, that uh, I don't have time to go into the text with and go back to Daniel with you, but it comes from Daniel. And, and what happened to Daniel, if you remember, there was a king, another king, and that king's name was Nebuchadnezzar. And, and Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, if you remember. And, and he couldn't uh, interpret that dream himself. He didn't know what that dream meant. And Nebuchadnezzar as king, he had magi with him. And so he inquired of what was called the magi. And the word and the language there is very similar to the one that is here. And so he called the magi to himself and because they were studiers of such spiritual things. And then he asked the magi, uh, what does my dream mean? And none of the magi could interpret the dream. And then they hear of one by the name of Daniel, the great prophet. And Daniel is brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, and, and Daniel tells him the meaning of the dream. And what we don't fully always remember, though, is uh, on the heels of that, is that King Nebuchadnezzar then made Daniel the head of his magi. Daniel, in effect, became the head magi, the head of all of the magi. And, and what it, it's believed that during that time, being the kind of prophet he was, and what Daniel knew, that Daniel taught the, the pagan tradition, the astrologers of Nebuchadnezzar's day, the dream interpreters of Nebuchadnezzar's day, that he taught them that the Messiah would come, and that this is what you should look for for the Messiah. And now all of these years later, we have these magi who are in the east, 900 miles away from where Bethlehem is, and that they are studying the stars, and all of a the sudden, they remember through tradition, back to the prophet of Daniel, that the Messiah is going to come, and they travel. What I find really beautiful about that is, first of all, is how God, God has this way of taking somebody's ill truth, introducing his truth, and then that truth becomes the conqueror of the ill truth. It's another way for us to recognize that God indeed is in control of all of history. That he's weaving his plan in and out to ensure and guarantee the salvation of those that would be his. Now as far as the star is concerned, uh, we don't really know what it is. There are several different theories. Uh, some believe that that it was a natural phenomenon that you can actually trace back through the stars and, and see that the planets aligned in such a way or what have you, and, and that's how they knew. Some believe it was a just supernatural event, a special star uh, popped up in the sky and led them. And others, others believe that, that maybe, maybe it was an angel, that an angel appeared and, and the angel then went before them and led them. We're not told, but, but what we are told is that something appeared, a star appeared, and it led them. And as they come and they present themselves to Jesus, after they finally have traveled 900 miles, and this is why we know there's probably more than three, it, it, in order to travel that length, it would require far more than just three people in their supplies. And especially with the influence that the, that the Magi had, that, that there would be several there, dozens quite possibly there to come and bow down before him. And, and that's what they do. They, they give him gifts. They give Jesus gifts, and we're told they bow down and they worship him. 
And as far as the text is concerned, we're told, right, that they present to him gold, they present to him incense or frankincense, uh, and then they present to him myrrh. And it's speculated that each of these have had certain meanings, that the gold was presented to Jesus because he would be king, and that the incense or frankincense would be presented uh, for him as a priest, for incense was used during priestly duties, and that the myrrh was to foreshadow the fact that Jesus would die for the sins of his people, for myrrh was used in preparation for the burial. Uh, we don't totally know. It doesn't tell us. But what we do know is that they bowed down. And that, that's where we're at this morning. That, that's the focus, the bowing down, the worshiping, worshiping him, uh, Jesus. Adoration, affection for God. It's the great question, how much do you love God? Or, or another great question, how much does God love you? Yeah, I have before you a definition of of love, which comes from a combination of some Bible dictionaries and some good quotes, and I kind of packaged them all together. And, and to, quite, to be honest with you, I, I liked the quote, but as I've read it several times now, I've thought, I don't know if it totally makes sense, but we're just going to go with it anyway. Love is selfless, enduring loyalty. Selfless, enduring loyalty, selfless care, selfless concern, selfless compassion for someone rooted in an unswerving purpose of good, despite disappointment and rejection. First of all, that, that kind of love, that kind of love is the love that God gives his people. It's the kind of love that, that, that God gives us that is it's enduringly loyal. God is loyal to you no matter what. He has enduring care for you, enduring concern, enduring compassion. And it's rooted in, in your good in spite of the ways that you may disappoint or reject him. I would argue that, that one of man's, one of man's, greatest needs and desires is to be perfectly loved and to have the ability to perfectly love. I, I would say this morning that, that one of your greatest needs at Christmas time, the greatest gift you could give your child or the greatest gift you could give your grandchild or your spouse or, or your loved one would be a love that is rooted in their good and, and in spite of, in spite of their rejection, in spite of, of how they would disappoint you. And to know that someone loves you that way, right? How, how beautiful would that be? How beautiful would it be to know that somebody loves you in spite of the thought that you had before you walked in the door, in spite of the disappointing thing you did uh, in the last 12 months, right? Because we're going to be coming up on New Year's, in spite of the screw-up that you made in the last year, or in spite of the things that you messed up on 10 years ago. Anybody make a few mistakes 10 years ago? All of us have made some kind of mistake, and, and if you're like me at all, some of those things will weigh on you. you you'll feel guilt, and you'll feel shame, and, and you'll feel a disconnect of love. It'll, it'll, it'll affect you, and this idea, this definition of biblical love is a kind of love that loves you in spite of you. Like, I want to say I love my wife that way all the time, but I don't. I want to tell you that my wife loves me that way all the time. And she's awesome. She's amazing. But she doesn't. Because as people, we don't quite have the ability for that kind of love. So we look, we look to God, who God has sent his only son to this world to die for the sins of his people. This kind of love that, that God gives us. We have to look to him for that perfect love because there is no one, nobody, who loves you like Jesus loves you. In fact, John chapter 17, verse 24, in regards to this idea of love, Jesus says it 
like this. He, he uses this beautiful word, which, which, which is a word for love. Verse 24, Father, I desire. He has a desire. He, his heart is yearning for something. And this is what he says, that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. He, he wants us to be with him, to see his glory, he says, that you have given me because, because why? Because you loved me, he says, before the foundation of the world. Jesus says that God loved him before the foundation of the world. Now, now God isn't just able to love. He doesn't have just the capacity to love. God is love. He's the embodiment of love. Jesus is love in flesh. And and so God says, Jesus says, God has loved me perfectly. So if you could think for just a moment, those of you who are parents, isn't there a special kind of unique love you have for your child? It's a love that, that I think kind of, in a way, goes even beyond the kind of love that you're capable of having for for your spouse, right? Because I I would die for my spouse, but but at the same time, there's there's a certain kind of sacrifice I would make make for my kids, and for their hope, and for their future, and for their well-being. It's a a radical kind of love that you have for your your kids, And, and this is what God is saying, that God loves his son this way. Imagine how God loves Jesus. He loves him perfectly. And he goes on and says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that, that have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Did you capture it? God has a perfect love for his son. And then, and then Jesus is saying that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Those of you who are parents, again, right? I love my children a particular kind of way. And imagine if I, if I went up to Mr. Good Old Looking Chad Hadley here. Jeff. It's because of that stupid Instagram thing. <laughs> this is Jeff Hadley. It's not Chad Hadley. If I went up to Jeff and I was like, Jeff, I love you as much as I love my son. He'd look at me and say, you're weird, dude. You got a problem. <laughs> right? It's not normal to love another human being the same way that you love your child. It's not, it's not socially normal. And yet God says, my son, I love him, and, and I love you. And the way that he does that is that Jesus, through the act of, of dying on the cross and the resurrection of the dead, he makes you a child. He makes you a blood relative. In fact, the Bible says it this way, that, that when he saves us, the words that are used there in the New Testament are sperma. That he literally, when you become born again, God's nature is planted within you and <gasps> you breathe again. And that is evidence that you are a child of God. And because of that, you are loved like Christ. You have been perfectly loved by Jesus. One pastor to his church said it this way, what I want most for Christmas this year is to join you and many others and seeing Christ in all his fullness and that we together be able to love what we see with a love far beyond our half-hearted human capacities. This is our first goal. We want together to see and savor this Jesus whose first advent or coming we celebrate and whose second advent we anticipate. This is what Jesus prays for us this Christmas. Father, show them my glory and give them the very delight in me that you have in me. Oh, may we see Christ with the eyes of God and savor Christ with the heart of God. That is the essence of heaven. That is the gift that Christ came to purchase for sinners at the cost of his death in our place. 
just kind of a, this prayer of, God, show us your love for us and give us our love for you and, and for one another. There's a great Christmas song. Many of you know it. talks about this kind of adoration. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. Adoration. Christ the Lord. O sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. Sing all that hear in heaven's God's holy word. Give to our Father glory in the highest. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord, all hail. Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. O Jesus, forevermore be thy name adored. Word of the Father, now in the flesh appearing. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Adoration. So what's interesting about the Christian faith is, is, that, is that when we talk about overcoming certain things and we talk about fighting our sin and fighting the things that we can't stop doing is that we're taught that basically the will cannot will you out of your sin. Right? If you have a sin this morning that you're dealing with and you're wrestling with, if you could will yourself to stop, then the will gets the credit. It's impossible. If you're struggling with something this morning in this Christmas season or you've been struggling with something this whole year, you cannot free yourself through the will alone. Has anyone ever tried not being angry, tried not being lustful, tried not being jealous, tried not being envious, tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and there still was no result? You know why? What Christ teaches us is that the way out of sin is through adoring Christ. It's through falling in love with Jesus. So now we, we learn that salvation is not by works, it's by love. It's by falling in love with Christ. I'm saved by falling in love with Christ, and I'm saved from my daily sins and frustrations by loving Christ. And what Jesus teaches us is daily, if you want to fight your sin correctly, you fight your sin by loving God. Isn't that good news? Because it, the war is finished, the fight is done, and, and God doesn't say, Grind it out, brother and sister. No, he says, come. Come to the stable. Come to the babe. I mean, don't you, there, there's two families here that are really close to me that, this morning that I get to dedicate both their babies next week. Brother and sister. Uh, sisters, and it's crazy because there is Jordan Dero married Nikki. And they have a little baby boy named Bear. And Nikki's sister, Courtney, married a Jordan. And they have a little baby boy here named Merrick. And then <laughs> Trevor, Jordan's brother, married a girl named Jordan. <laughs> so it's super hard to keep track of them all. <laughs> but... Have you ever felt, and some of you will answer yes to this, I know, intimidated by a baby child? I know people who have felt intimidated to hold them because they're afraid they're going to hurt them. They don't, they're, they're, but the idea is that anybody can approach a baby. See, Jesus didn't come on a throne with a scepter in his hand and a crown on his head and say, come and worship me. He came in a feed trough as a child so that every human being on the planet would know that Christ the Lord God Emmanuel with us is 100% accessible to us 
There is not one man, not one woman, not one child that cannot come to Jesus and worship him as king. Not one. This is the kind of love that he gives us. Wayne Grudem says in regards to God, the definition of love, God's love means that God eternally gave himself to others. This idea of giving, this definition understands love is self-giving for the benefit of others. This attribute of God shows us that it is part of his nature to give of himself in order to bring about blessing or good for others. Grudem says about God's love, which we have in us, that it should cause us great joy to know that it is the purpose of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to give of themselves to us to bring us true joy and happiness. It is God's nature to act that way towards those upon whom he has set his love, and he will continue to act that way towards us for all eternity. This is an, an eternal kind of love that is accessible for us at all times in spite of you. I have a tradition on Sunday mornings when I jump in the shower and I get ready for church and I'm getting ready to preach to just put on worship songs just to try to get my, my heart right. And there's a song that I was listening to this morning that I needed to hear. And, and the line in the song said, he did not want heaven without us. Isn't that beautiful? Like God, God wants you to join him for eternity. He desires you. He has affection towards you. He cares for you. And, and when we celebrate at Christmas, what, we, what we're doing is, uh, just so you know, you need to be deeply praying if you can this afternoon because tonight we're going to have people who come to church here tonight and they've, they've probably never, never been to church and the last time they were here was at springtime for Easter and the last time they were here before that was at Christmas time. We're going to have people who literally only come twice a year. And, and, and it's my hope when they come that they hear the good love that Jesus offers his people. That, that, that they can have a relationship with God, that they, they can have a life, they can have a life that is blessed because God is part of their life and they're not living it on their own. Or you should be inviting people. We have more cards out there. Start handing them out. Go door to door. You can be Mormon for a day. <laughs> Go for it. But here's the deal that, that I want to share this morning in addition to this idea of love is there's this, there, there is a problem with it when we say we want this, we desire it, but why in the world is it so difficult to give it and why is it so difficult to receive it? And Wayne touched upon it last week. It, it goes back to Genesis 3 and, and I just need to bring a little bit of reality here for, for us to understand the, the, the nuances of why this is incredibly difficult for us and you can... Uh, basically summarize them in these four points. Spiritual alienation, physical, physiological alienation, social alienation, and physical alienation. You know, some of those are kind of big words, and I'll, and I'll make them make sense, but this is why. That spiritual alienation is spiritual disconnect from God, Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve took a, took a bite of the tree of the good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil, the first thing they did is they hid from God. That's spiritual alienation. Prior to that, they walked with God. They were connected with God. They were connected with his perfect love. They take a bite, and then all of a sudden, they feel alienated. That's what spiritual alienation is. It's to be out of place with God. The consequences of this are guilt, shame, condemnation, a lack of spiritual purpose, confusion with what's right, right and wrong. That's the consequence to this spiritual alienation. We don't know what to do spiritually. We don't even know what's right or wrong. I mean, you, you ever realize that what we desire as far as flesh is concerned usually isn't good for you. Every time you have an affection towards a bacon cheeseburger, 
You may think it's good and holy, I, I do, but that bacon cheeseburger is out to kill you. Right? Is anybody this Christmas, there might be a couple in the church, I know there's several health nuts here, but is anyone in the church saying, I can't wait for Christmas, Christmas dinner where we're going to just pound that broccoli and cauliflower. It's going to be amazing. No, several of you got ham and you got prime rib and you've got chips and salsa. I know my family's got shrimp, artichoke, dip, everything that is going to, to push me towards a heart attack. My family is going to try to kill me tomorrow. And my mouth will love them for it. You understand what I'm saying? We don't crave that which is naturally good for us. And, and, and even, even for us, sometimes we'll say, should I do this or should I do that? In fact, yesterday, I, uh, an example of this is yesterday, my oldest son, I need to clarify from first service that, that he took not a Lego, but a bunch of Legos together and chucked it at my younger son. And my younger son, who's overly dramatic, he's literally, ah, beating through a Lego in my back. Kind of one of those things. And so in the moment, I thought, well, what's the wise thing to do? So I brought my son over, and, and I, I presented a solution to him, which was basically was don't do unto others what you wouldn't have to do unto themselves. And I said, okay, Peyton, turn around. Let me throw it at you. And I wasn't just so we're all clear. I had no intention of throwing the Lego at him. But the look on his face, I crushed him. I mean, it wasn't, it was like, I could see it on his face. My dad would purposely hurt me, and I knew in that moment, I made a bad decision. I should have handled this differently. And it's because, because of spiritual alienation, not totally even in this world, though I'm connected with God, not being perfectly connected until heaven comes, that I handled it with, with the wrong kind of wisdom. We do that in our marriages. We do that with family. We do that with friends. Some of you are going to, unfortunately, offend someone in your family at Christmas time tomorrow. Some of you have already done it because they're already here. <laughs> which leads to number two, which is psycholo- I'm sorry, uh, yeah, psychological alienation. See, where, where Adam and Eve hid from God, and the second one, we're told that Adam and Eve covered themselves in shame and fear. This is psychological alienation, shame of self. You're no longer comfortable in your own openness. This alienation, because of this, we get depressed, we get anxious, we get angry, and we don't even totally know who we are. Do you know, it may not be as necessarily true for some of you in the room this morning, but it's definitely true of the younger crowd here that the millennials, for the most part, have a huge struggle with their identity because it's so deeply rooted and attached to social media. If I don't get so many thumbs up and so many likes and so many double taps and so many hashtags this, and th- then who am I? Am I really important? It's a portrayal of, and on social media, it's a portrayal for the most part of a false self that isn't real. Right? My, my image on social media is not who I really am. Most of my pictures are of smiling kids. I promise it's not that way every day. It just isn't. There, that, that's the alienation of self. You hide yourself. You're not open with God. And then the third one is social alienation. Being alienated from each other. Not only did Adam hide himself from God and hide himself because he was ashamed of his own, his own body, but he hid himself from his own wife, Eve. 
being alienated from one another. He no longer felt open to be naked in front of his wife. He hid himself from her. This is social alienation, to be out of place with one another. This kind of alienation, this kind of lack of love, society's broken in all kinds of ways. The consequences are we have war, we have crime, divorce, poverty, oppression, and injustice. All of this from one act, a breaking apart of love, love of self, love of God, love of each other, and then lastly, the physical alienation. We are literally disconnected from nature itself. We're told the way it was intended to be was that the lion would lay with the lamb, that we would be united with nature. Instead, we're, we're, we're wondering, is climate change real? Is it not real? Are we creating this? Is nature creating this? Is, this just, is it just a seasonal thing? What, what's happening? Because of, because of this kind of alienation, we have hunger, we have famine, natural disasters, disease, uh, and, and we're, we're overall unhealthy. Right? This is what happened in Genesis, this breaking apart of love. All of these things, I think, have to do with love, and it's a fracture. So we say God has this perfect love for us. He wants us to be perfectly in love with him and perfectly loving one another, and yet we're not able to do it. And it's because of the fall. I like uh, Puritans because they bring me back to history a little bit. And George Whitfield said it this way. You know why the wild animals shriek at you and growl at you and hiss at you when you come near and run away? Because they know you have a quarrel with their master. It It wasn't always intended to be that way. And yet we come back to the fact that Jesus sent his only son in a manger that he would live a perfect life on your behalf and then die on the cross to reconcile you to himself and to one another. So with that said, what I want to spend the remaining moments with you on this morning is how do you practically love at Christmas time? Tomorrow I'm going I'm to go into a, I'm going to go into a smaller room than I care to be in with a ton of people and a lot of yelling. And I'm, I'm an introvert, so I recharge by getting away. I know people seem shocked. And they go, you're an introvert? Yes, I'm an introvert. I recharge by being alone. And so this Christmas season, forget being alone. And so tomorrow I, I, will, I will be asking God for these things, to give me these things supernaturally, to practically love as he loves And the first one is this. Love is extremely practical. Right? The wise men, the magi, they practically travel from one place to another to worship Jesus. And just so you know, Jesus probably would have been older than a baby at this time. And in Luke 24, 19, it tells this is about Jesus. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, he was mighty in deed, practical, and word. Jesus actually acted. He acted. So, so love actually does something. It's not passive. It doesn't just lay back. It actually does something. Uh, number two, love is gift-giving. Anybody going to do that tomorrow? You're going to give gifts. You're actually going to go out, or you already went out. Hopefully, you got your Christmas shopping done. If not, 7-Eleven's still open, 24 hours. It's actually gift-giving. You're, you're going to give gifts. Now, this, this is kind of important for me. I'm going to share a little bit uh, of my life that will reveal something to you. I, I grew up in my home as a lonely child, okay? I was the only one. And then my parents, when I was 18 and in college, decided to have another child. So I have a sister that is 18 years younger than me. And then, whew, 
that baby's got some gas. <laughs> I have four kids. I am an expert. You're going to want to take that outside <laughs> as soon as possible. <laughs> Man. That was a manly, uh, for a little baby, that was, um, So I grew up, I grew up a lonely child, and it wasn't until 18 years later that I had another sister, and then my parents had another sister four years after that. So I have a 22-year gap, an 18-year gap between my sisters. And so growing up, Christmas was, for the most part, it was about me. Now I have four children. Christmas has never not been, I mean, Christmas is so, so not about me. And, and when I sit down and, and I see this gift giving, it's kind of like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. Yesterday, we opened, like I said, we opened up all the gifts for the kids. Our pet hamster got more gifts than I did. <laughs> I am not kidding you. Our hamster is living large. It's got tubes coming out all over the place. But, but the idea is this. Listen to, what, listen to what this quote says. I think I have a quote for it here. Let me see. Um, the gi- gifts that the Magi give, because they come, they practically travel, and then they bow their knee and they give these gifts. And this is what this quote says. The gifts are intensifiers of desire for Christ himself in much the same way that fasting is. When you give a gift to Christ like this, it's a way of saying, the joy that I pursue, from verse 10, is not the hope of getting rich with things from you. I have not come to you for your things, but for yourself. And this is the desire I now intensify and demonstrate by giving up things in hope of enjoying you more, not things. By giving to you what you, God, do not need and what I might enjoy, I am saying more earnestly and more authentically, you are my treasure, not these things. See, the idea behind gift giving is to literally say, I want to give to you because I love you. I'm not looking to get from you. And, and, And the idea behind that in regards to salvation is many Christians come to Jesus because they can get things from Jesus, not because they adore Jesus. And those who come to get things from Jesus, it could be argued, don't know Jesus. Those who come to receive from Jesus, to just be with Jesus, to bless Jesus, to worship Jesus, those are the ones who truly know who Jesus is. And sometimes you have to dig into your wallet to God and dig into your wallet to others at Christmas time to say, I don't want from you. I just want to give to you. Aren't the best gifts that you give are to people who don't expect a gift from you? Aren't they? At Christmas time, the one that's hard is like, it's like, well, I'm going to give you a gift, and I'm going to give you a gift, especially if you get into gift cards. Like, I got you a $25 gift card here, and they gave me a $25 gift card somewhere else. And you're like, now you're just trading money. It just kind of feels weird, you know? My favorite gift to give and my favorite gift to receive is an Amazon gift card. Because it's like, you can have anything in the world you want. And you can get it in two days. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Right? I gave a few of those out this year. And the, the idea is that, that when, when, you, when you're giving, you're not doing it to get something in return. So it's not, hey, here's, I mean, even at Christmas time, have you ever noticed even at Christmas time, there's this weird kind of deal when someone gives you a gift and they present to you that present and you're not expecting it? For you, you're like, for the person who receives it, for the person who gives it, they're like, this is awesome. And for the person who gets it, you're like, the first thing you think isn't, oh, great, I got a gift. It's, oh, great, I didn't get them anything. <laughs> Do you understand that, that that is sin built into your heart 
that you can't even totally freely accept grace. You still feel like you have to earn it. But what Jesus does is he says, I give you all of me. But what can I give you, Lord? Just be with me. Just spend time with me. This Christmas time, Jesus desires us to just spend time with him. To sit with him, to worship him, to adore him. Number three, real love rejoices. And we see that, that in verse 10, they, they rejoiced. So, so in one sense, love is practical, it acts, it's practical, it gives, it's giving something, it's gift giving, but it's also an attitude, right? You, you smile. Don't you find it interesting that, that God somehow in, in his sovereignty tied the busiest, most stressful time of the season with what should be the time of most peace and most joy? And I think the reason that Jesus has done that is to just show you his great need for him. Right? Jesus has a way of setting up situations. It's difficult. It's hard. Let it be a reminder that if you want real love, real peace, real joy, r- real, real anything, you need me. Sit with me. Be with me. And rejoice. I have a little story in here where, where, where um, if you remember uh, from the fall, that Cain killed Abel. And the reason Cain killed Abel is because Abel received something that Cain didn't get, so Cain killed him. He was jealous of his brother. See, at Christmas time, at Christmas time, we, we should be rejoicing when someone does better, when someone gets a gift. Or when I sit down with my kids, this is what Christmas is all about now. It's about seeing the smiles of my children. I'm a little angry that Diego got more gifts than me because I don't see any smile on that little hamster's face, but that's all another story. It's, it's no longer about me. It's, it's about rejoicing. When you see somebody who gets a gift that you didn't get, rejoice. When you see somebody who receives something you didn't, rejoice. If, if you see somebody who gets married before you did, rejoice. If you see somebody who has kids before you, rejoice. If you have somebody who gets some kind of blessing, some kind of job promotion, some kind of pat on the back, some kind of Christmas bonus, don't be upset. Rejoice that God is good, that he's good to people, and that he's good to the undeserving. Because one day he's going to bless you, and you don't deserve it. Right? We shared that, that in many ways, Santa is the antithesis of Jesus. Right? Santa blesses the nice, and he gives coal to the naughty. Jesus blesses the naughty, all of them, and there's no such thing as nice. Remember when they comes he says good teacher and jesus says why do you call me good he's questioning him because there's only one who's good you know who the good one is jesus is the only good and perfect one and then number four love is complementary love love is love actually says good job One pastor says, love is glad when our brothers and sisters are making progress in good habit or good attitude or good behavior. So when you see that, you see someone grow, you you, you go to me and say, good job, right? Isn't it a blessing when someone walks up to you, especially if you don't think you look all that good, and someone says, you look good today? Doesn't that put a smile on your face? Hey, Russ, you're looking good today. He has to smile, (laughs) right? Love, Love compliments. Love goes and, and actually says, if you love somebody, you tell them that they're good at something. I try to tell my wife as often as I can. I tell her, Allie, you are good at this, and I'm not. And I just want to thank you for it. 
right? She loves my children in a way that I don't have the capacity to do. And, and so as a, as a church, tomorrow, you, you should, when you're opening gifts, you should really congratulate somebody when they get an awesome gift and, and just tell them, even though they're probably going to still be in their pajamas, you look good in those pajamas. Man, you are rocking those pajamas. There's going to be a few kids who come tonight, they'll probably still be in their pajamas because they're getting ready for tomorrow. Compliment. And then lastly, I think it's my last point. Oh, I did the same thing. Um, love is inspired by others' goodness and success. Love gets thrilled. This is some more announcements. Welcome to church, everyone. <laughs> we have another hour to go. I'm just kidding. We're good. Um, <laughs> somebody's excited. I love church. Um, love is inspired by others' goodness and success. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That, that ties in with the encouraging but it also ties in when you see somebody doing something good, that should inspire you. It shouldn't give you an excuse. Like, like I, when my wife does something awesome, it is natural for me to go, you do that, I don't do that, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. I just don't have that gift. I, I can't be something I'm not. I'm being real. That's an excuse. I, I tell people, whenever someone says, just be you, bro. No, 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 don't be you. Be Jesus. Be the, be the you that Jesus intended you to be. Strive to be the one that Christ intended you to be. Because if you're just being you without the filter of Christ, that's bad news for a lot of people. Because just being you might mean you're mean. It might mean you're, you're grumpy. It might mean you always say what you think. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Right? Instead, instead, we get inspired by who Jesus is. We get inspired by others and we say, I want to be more like that person. Uh, giving gifts isn't a natural gift for me. So when others do that, I'm like, man, that, that's really cool. When my wife, my wife makes a huge deal out of stockings and the Christmas tree and all of the traditions. If, it, if I wasn't married to my wife, I, I probably wouldn't have a Christmas tree and I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't necessarily be none the wiser. Well, so you're like, man, bummer. My wife does call me the Grinch on occasion. But with my wife, I'm inspired to celebrate Christmas, to celebrate Christ. Real love doesn't complain that somebody's different. Real love sees that difference and says, I want to be more like that because it shows me another picture of Jesus. And again, tomorrow, you're going to gather around your family. There's going to be a lot of different people, and there's going to be things that you don't like, and there's going to be things you do like, and I'm encouraging you to be like Christ and see past what you don't like and encourage and bless and try to be like the things that that do encourage you. As the last quote, when we are born again, This love became our love. There is, in the born-again person, listen to this carefully. When you're born again, this is is what he's saying. There's a deep impulse to die to self that others might live. Something new happens to you. And what he's saying is it's in there. It may not feel like it's in there, but if you're a Christian, you have an impulse to die that others might live. The presence of Christ in the born-again person is the presence of a servant's heart, a sacrificial spirit, a readiness to go down that others might go up. Love does not want to prosper at the expense of others. Love wants others to prosper, and if it costs us our life, that's okay because Jesus will take care of us. That's what Christmas is about, giving of self that others would thrive. One of the things I would encourage you to think about 
especially in your marital relationship? Do you care more about how your spouse makes you feel or do you care more about how they feel? Because that the kind of love that Christ has is you're not even concerned with your own feeling of love because you're so concerned with giving that love to the other person. And the only way you can do that, ladies and gentlemen, is because you're getting all of your needs met by Christ himself. When you know that he has met every need, it becomes super easy to give away everything else. Merry Christmas. Lord, we thank you that you gave your only begotten son for us, that we would know the love of God, that we would know the peace of God, that we would know the joy of God. May you continue to work in us and mold us and sanctify us into your image. And may tomorrow be a day of celebration and rejoicing that this baby was born to remove us from our guilt and shame and to reconcile us to the maker of our souls. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.